0: And welcome to the Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks, a podcast where we take you behind the scenes to discover the amazing stories of the Royal Parks in London. My name is Kristen Miller, and I'm the Marketing and Communications Manager here. This month, we're talking about the incredible biodiversity inside of the Royal Parks. From the deer in our outer parks, to the hedgehogs and tawny owls that call our green spaces home, There is unbelievable wildlife to be discovered right in the heart of London. I'm first speaking with Peter Lawrence, the biodiversity manager at the Royal Parks, about his important work. He tells us about the new campaign launched by the organization called Keep Wildlife Wild and how listeners can play a role in helping nature to thrive. Hi, Pete. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Doing well. Another beautiful day. So, yeah, so London is a capital city, and most people are associated with packed tubes, busy streets, bright lights. Is this a city that has a lot of nature?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, London is surprisingly good for for wildlife. Um, It's a very green city. So it's it's known as uh, the greenest city in Europe um, by some measures, about forty percent of the of London is publicly accessible green space. Um, it's got the the Thames corridor running right through the centre, which is a fantastic um, movement corridor for wildlife coming into, moving through London. Um, and as well as um, green space, there's obviously a huge amount of street trees, private gardens. Um, so all that comes together to provide a, a lot of habitat within the heart of a very busy. Um, urban area, and obviously the World Parks are, are key open spaces within that.
0: So you're the Royal Parks biodiversity manager. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your job involves?
1: Yeah, so the, the job, I mean, it's very broad, which is great, keeps it very interesting. And um, but it's working across all the parks, um, so all of the eight World Parks, um, providing advice about biodiversity about wildlife from how we might manage habitats to um, opportunities for habitat creation, um, uh, through to working on some of our strategic documents, so feeding into maybe management plans. so It's a very, it's a very broad role, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a massive role. Um, when did your interest in the natural world begin? How did you get involved in this work?
1: Well, I grew up in in central London, so some people think that's a bit strange that I got into wildlife. But as we've <laughs> said, there is a lot of nature in in um, in London. Um, but I think I was just very lucky. We did we we had a garden. My parents were really into gardening, so actually, and we had an allotment as well. Um, so a lot of my my sort of introduction to, to wildlife was through through gardening, um, and then we used to. We went to a lot of parks. We, I, I remember going to uh, St. James's Park and Re- Richmond Park a lot in particular as, as a kid. Um, so it's always it's always been there in the background since I was a, a young kid really.
0: Hmm. So you mentioned the role that the royal parks play in creating such beautiful natural spaces in London. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of these green spaces?
1: Yeah, so I mean, they're very historic green spaces obviously they've been um the the parks have been there in one form or other since before London as a city developed so they've got that really um long history and they as they as they developed as royal hunting grounds um through to um more formalized landscapes to their current form as public parks they've they've had that, they provide that continuity of green space in the heart of London throughout all of that time. Um, so the, through that, they've they've developed or maintained high biodiversity value. Um, but then the, the way the world parks as well have also been managed, um, particularly in recent, well, more recent years since the eighties really, um, there's been a greater focus on uh, biodiversity and supporting wildlife. Um, but that's really picking up pace now um, it's, it's something that we all need to be focused on with the, the climate change crisis and decline in global biodiversity so we're, we're now seeing a, a much greater push for improving continuing improvement of the parks for biodiversity mm. whether that's from uh, extending meadow habitats creating new meadow habitats to creating new reed beds, the way we manage trees. Um, We're putting a lot of effort into that now because because we have to, we we really need to work hard to make sure our landscapes, our habitats are resilient so they can stand up against the, the threats that we're facing at the moment.
0: I know the rural parks recently released a biodiversity framework. You're mentioning some of these projects. Is that part of that framework? What does that involve?
1: yeah so the framework itself is is, is a strategic document um, so it's it's really steering how um, how we manage and improve the parks for nature but through all of our activities so so not just the the um, how we create habitats or manage habitats or survey and monitor wildlife also through to all of our activities so how we might um, Procure how we might bring in uh, services, or how we manage our events, how we deliver learning. So it really is about how TRP, as a charity, the whole charity, um, moves forward to improving biodiversity within within London.
0: So essentially, just really putting biodiversity in the centre of everything that the Royal Parks does.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What's something that can be found in these urban green spaces that would surprise people?
1: I mean, we're lucky to be very well studied spaces. So we've got a huge amount of, of records of the wildlife living in the parks. Um, in recent years, we've also benefited from, we, we've got a great project running that Mission Invertebrate Project, which is uh, supported by players of People's Postcode Lottery. And that's had a real focus on invertebrates. So animals without a backbone. Um, and part of that has been to fund lots of scientific studies. So to build on a long history of scientific study in the parks and through that, we've, we've identified some really quite unusual rare species in the park. So um, in in Longwater a couple of years ago, we found the lovely named Spangled Water Beetle, which is a, a critically endangered species that before that, It was only found in one other location in Hampshire, um, which is lovely. And it it really is a beautiful beetle. Um, And we even get some species new to science found in the park. So in in Bushy Park, found a new species of uh, fungus gnat, uh, which has been aptly named the the Bushy gnat. Oh. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, We've
0: got our own gnat, I love that. We have,
1: we've got our own gnat, it's brilliant. (laughs) Um, so there are these these findings being being made um, quite regularly about the, some of the rarer species, but obviously those aren't. I mean, to biodiversity geeks, they're they're very exciting, but they're not exactly um, visible to to everyone. So then, uh, to my mind, is some of the the sort of really exciting things you might find in the parks which are just species that we we don't necessarily think of living in our cities. So um, Regent's Park has a has a a population, central London's only population of breeding hedgehog. Mm. Um, There's actually tawny owls nesting in or have nested in all of the parks. So even in the central London parks, we obviously regularly see grey herons in our ponds, but you might also see a cousin of the grey heron, the the little egret, which is a a smaller heron-like bird, which is pure white, very beautiful. We're finding more and more as a result of climate change. You get some of these these species, which I mean, they're really exciting to see. Whether even a, a flash of a kingfisher, um, which aren't necessarily a rare bird, but just to see them in the heart of London can be really exciting, or a peregrine nesting overhead.
0: I mean, it's incredible just the diversity of the wildlife and the nature um, that you're kind of touching on. And I think it really does like illuminate just how important it is to have these green spaces, particularly in an urban environment. Um, That people can have those interactions with that kind of wildlife right here in London.
1: Yeah, and it might even even some of the habitats might surprise people because we're all creatures of habit to a certain extent. So we might go to a particular area of a park. So. Um, not all visitors say in Greenwich Park you might visit the the bottom of the park but actually if you continue up the hill onto the the sort of upper ground at the back towards Blackheath there's some lovely wild areas lovely meadow areas um, and woodland habitats so even just exploring a park a a bit wider than you may have otherwise done you can find some interesting habitats. It's
0: great advice um, so what do you think the biggest challenges are in managing the biodiversity of the parks?
1: Um, I think without doubt it's, it's the challenge of climate change. Um, we do also have, uh, in, the, in the parks, we've got very high numbers of visitors. So the, the last survey we had done, which is certainly out of date, and, and it will have increased, but we there's an estimate of 77 million um, visits a, a year to the parks so I mean it's fantastic that we, we're able to welcome that many people in and that many people can come in and experience nature but it does inevitably um, have an impact the, the level of footfall disturbance um, but saying that climate change is without doubt going to be the main the main challenge we well not we will face but we are facing we're already seeing impacts with whether it's impacting water quality through warmer, warmer weather conditions or flash flooding from high rainfall events causing erosion, um, droughts uh, having a big impact on our, say our pond habitats and therefore amphibians, through to the impact of drought on our, our tree populations. So there's there's a whole suite of impacts associated with climate change, which which we are seeing and which we're trying to trying to um, address as best as we can.
0: The Royal Parks has launched a campaign called Help Nature Thrive. And as part of it, you're asking visitors to keep wildlife wild. What does that involve?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this is exactly um, part of our response to try and improve the resilience of, of the parks to the threats they face. Um, so obviously, we're, we're, like, as I've said, we're doing lots of work around habitats and, and wildlife, but we're, we're also asking our, the help from our visitors as well. Um, and the, the Keep Wildlife Wild is, is very much part of that. It's what we're encouraging people to do is to experience nature in the parks, um, but to try and experience it in its natural setting, its natural behavior of wildlife, rather than necessarily, say for example, trying to feed the wildlife or trying to touch wildlife. Um, so it's, this is all part of our approach to try and improve the resilience of wildlife to change. But absolutely, we're encouraging people to come in and, and experience nature, and um, it's, it's great for us. Um, and ultimately, it's good for wildlife because if, if people have a better understanding of um, enjoyment, experiencing nature, then there's more chance that we can all work together to try and help it.
0: Before I let you go, Pete, um, for people who are listening to this podcast, potential park visitors, what role can they play in helping the wildlife of the parks flourish?
1: So we, the part of our campaign at the moment is we are focusing on trying to encourage people not to feed wildlife in particular. Mm -hmm. um, So that it might be the waterfowl, um, it could be squirrels, parakeets, deer. Just the, again, coming back to the the sheer number of visitors we have, uh, even if a small proportion of those those visitors feed a small amount of food, cumulative impact of that is 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 potentially huge um, so say for example feeding ducks which is a traditional way we've engaged with nature in the past it can cause a, a, a range of issues which actually in the long term can harm the, the ducks or the, the, the waterfowl so whether it's impacting water quality or changing a bird's behavior or attracting in um, large groups which can damage habitats so there's, there's a range of impacts associated with that so we're we're asking people to just change behaviour a little bit, um, so to sort of enjoy the enjoy the birds, watch the birds, and um, to help with that, we're we're providing a, a range of other activities that people can enjoy in the parks. So there are some signs up in the parks with QR codes that people can use to find these activities, or they're on our websites. So there's a, a bird spotting sheets for each of the park, for example, um, and then. Uh, In some of the parks, we've also got um, nature trails, effectively, so self-led walks. Our Mission Invertebrate project has developed some fantastic um, trails called the More Than Bugs Trails around the parks. All these, these other ways of engaging with nature and enjoying nature, and also starting to learn about some of the nature, hopefully
0: great. So lots of ways that people can come into the parks and interact with wildlife in a way that supports the wildlife. Um, we'll absolutely put a link to the website and the campaign so people can learn more in the podcast show notes. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really informative. Appreciate you taking the time.
1: No problem. Pleasure.
0: Thanks so much. We're now speaking with Joe Hayward, Volunteer Officer at the Royal Parks. Joe manages our Volunteer Ranger Program, which now operates in all of our outer parks. They play a key role in helping visitors to support and enjoy wildlife within our green spaces, specifically the incredible deer populations that have become quite well-known. Joe Hayward, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. We've had some beautiful weather in the parks so far this month.
2: It's Um, been glorious. I've been out as much as possible. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that.
0: So um, as one of our volunteer officers, you manage a lot of the work in Richmond and Bushy. And we have these incredible deer populations in our outer parks. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history of the deer in the Royal
2: Parks? Yeah, I can. Um, So uh, the parks didn't used to be deer parks. They didn't used to be parks at all. Um, And then 500 years ago in Bushy, um, Henry VIII and King Charles I decided that they wanted somewhere where they could put a deer herd and hunt them. And since then, there have always been deer within Bushy and Richmond. So they've been there for, yeah, 500 years in Bushy, which is a long time.
0: Wow, that is a really long time. You know, I know one of the challenges that you deal with in your work is people getting too close to these powerful animals. I've heard in running season that male stags can weigh up to a quarter of a ton. Is that true?
2: Yeah, they are really big. And the other thing which always surprises me is they can run like 30, 35 miles an hour. Like they are so speedy. Um, So they're not only heavy, but very fast and their antlers are really sharp. Um, We've got kind of videos of Deer accidentally put in holes in cars and things. So, you really don't want to get that close to them. They will outrun you.
0: Wow, noted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They've certainly become quite iconic, though, in the parks. Um, But they serve a practical purpose for maintaining the natural landscapes. Is that right?
2: Yeah, they do. So, you know, we've mentioned how long they've been in the parks before the deer in the parks. These spaces were kind of used for woodland so where people would come and get their timber to build houses and sheds and all sorts of things they'd get their firewood from there um, and there was also pasture so farmland um, and then when the deer came in that changed so drastically um deer naturally eat all sorts so 90 percent of their diet is grass and um, they eat new tree growth they eat berries all sorts of brambly, brackeny undergrowth. And um, so they, they were introduced to these spaces and they just ate everything. Um, and that is great for the parks because it means that they maintain our amazing sites. Um, and we have this thing in both Bushy and Richmond called Lowland Acid Grassland. Um, and it's like a nationally scarce habitat which is has really great invertebrate populations and without the deer to kind of stop all of the other things growing through we wouldn't have that and so yeah very practical purpose in keeping our parks as special as they are. Wow
0: so basically you're saying without the deer in the parks the landscapes would not look at all the way they look right now.
2: Absolutely not they would be full of shrubs and woodland and yeah they're really great (laughs) it saves us painful lawnmowers and things like that but yeah
0: they're great sustainable way to to manage the landscape
2: (laughs) sustainable and also just yeah iconic um parklands have do have a really distinct environment and you know there aren't actually so many deer parks across the country so it's great to kind of use them and have them and realize how special they are
0: absolutely right now we're in the middle of birthing season what exactly does that mean OK,
2: so birthing season. So every spring, I'm sure you've noticed, you know, there's an abundance of like new baby birds and you have your baby lambs and your calves. Um, deer give birth in spring as well. Um, so you might have heard about the rutting season, which is in you know, September, October, when all of the males are fighting over the females. The result of that is that all of the females give birth um, between the end of May and the middle of July. Um, and just like us, the new mums don't want anyone near their babies. <laughs> they, they do their best to protect them and keep them safe. Um, so bathing season, although you might be tempted to go in and see these cute baby deer, and they are very cute, um, just be extra careful because these, these female deer really don't want you to kind of stumble across their newborn and they're being hyper vigilant. They're watching for anyone who might be headed towards their baby, especially if you have a dog. Um, so, Dogs, kind of in the wild, would be a predator of deer, and they know that, so they keep an eye out and will try and move you away. So we have in the parks just some advice, a rule: please keep your dogs on a lead, um, and that will kind of help the deer to feel a bit safer and be less likely to kind of maybe run after you and, and help you move away, help move you away from the baby deer. Um, so if you are coming to the park during birthing season, I would avoid coming if you can with a dog if you do have to come with a dog keep it on a lead and kind of stick to the open path through, through the park so the deer give birth in kind of areas where the grass is a bit longer or there's some bracken to hide their baby in um, so you want to avoid those areas where you might accidentally stumble across one
0: I think that's something so many parents can relate to, that desire to just kind of protect your children. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. And that's really good advice.
2: Absolutely. You know, that they're fantastic parents. You know, they, they always know exactly where their newborn is. They go back. So they go out to feed and they leave another female kind of on guard. We call them the aunties. Um, to look after them and then when they fed they'll go back to their newborn and feed them so they're always going back to them they have so much food and they're just looking out for them they're really great mothers but yeah they just really want to keep them safe. The Royal Parks launched
0: a volunteer ranger program to help educate park visitors about these spaces and the nature within them tell us more about that.
2: Yeah so the volunteer ranger service uh, we've been going since 2018 now Um, it was just a trial, really, to kind of see how we can reach more visitors and help people just really appreciate how special the parks are. And also understand a bit more about how to behave in them and enjoy them in a way that's not going to impact on our wildlife. Um, so every month now, the volunteer rangers speak to about 4,000 visitors, which is so many. And, you know, if you, if you see anyone in an orange jacket in the park, do go up and have a chat with them. And um, they'll love to talk and introduce you to anything or learn anything that you might be able to tell them. Um, but really, the, in Richmond and Bushy, they focus on the deer herds and how best to kind of behave around them, so keep your distance. Uh, I've mentioned how fast they run, so we, we ask people to stay 50 metres away from them. And again, we know that people out of a good place in their hearts want to head up and, and just enjoy being close to them and being in nature, but really that is dangerous and it does stop them kind of behaving naturally so the volunteer rangers kind of share that message and just help you to kind of see what's happening see what their natural behaviors are um, and they love it they're lovely they're lovely people so if you do ever see them you'll have a nice chat
0: it's really nice to have those advocates out in the parks i'm just curious how many volunteer rangers do you have now in richmond and bushy
2: so I think we have about 120 in total. So there's a lot of them. Of uh, a few more in Richmond because it's it's twice the size. Um, but yeah, they're out on weekends and some weekdays as well. So, you know, there aren't so many that they'll be everywhere and you'll be able to see these two little orange jackets bubbling around. But um, there are enough that they're there on busy times and they really do cover a lot of the park. So yeah. Out oh, and about.
0: Yeah. Listeners can keep an eye out. Um, so yeah, it's I mean, it's Amazing to hear about these incredible deer populations, but how can park visitors play a role in helping them to thrive?
2: It is, it's all about kind of giving them space. So they are they're wild herds, they're wild animals. Um it's not kind of like when you go to a petting zoo and there's some sheep and you can go up and feed them. Richmond is actually a national nature reserve, so it's a really special area in the country uh, for its wildlife and also across Europe it has a special conservation status and I think when you go to the park just remember you're going to a nature reserve, you're not just you know heading into the park. Um, And with that you know if you do see wildlife, if it's the deer or if it's anything else, just give it some space um, and let it it behave wildly and naturally Um, and you'll you'll actually be rewarded by seeing some pretty impressive um, wild deer behaviours that you won't see anywhere else. Um, And it's really special. So yeah, do keep 50 meters away from them um, and and never feed them. (laughs) Um, We do see people kind of who think that they're doing a good thing by giving them some extra nuts or maybe some carrots or even just breaking bits of branches off and pulling grass up. You know, you have to get pretty close to them to do that, but they really don't need any more food. Um, So we have wildlife officers who keep an eye on the health of the herds at all times. Um, and they're very healthy. If we ever need to give them any more and sometimes during winter we give them a little supplement, we do do that. So please don't feed them and don't touch them. Um, especially the little babies. If you touch them, there's a risk that the mothers will then not recognize their scent and the, the baby will be abandoned. I've also mentioned those antlers and how sharp they are. Please don't touch them just, you know, there is a risk that the deer won't like it and will try and move away and you could get really badly hurt. Um, Yeah, and another thing is ticks. Um, Our deer do have ticks. Just don't touch the deer and give them lots of space and you'll be able to see them kind of just enjoying themselves. You'll be able to see the mothers and their newborns if you were to come in July and August, you know, kind of find their feet and, and explore the park a bit more.
0: Good advice. So keep your distance and don't feed them and you'll be rewarded by getting to see them wild in their habitat, um, which is such a luxury in an urban environment like London.
2: And in any environment, you know, outside of parks, the deer are, they're really jumpy and really flighty and you, you won't be able to get within 150 meters of them, let alone what you see in the park. So yeah, very special to be able to see that. Well, thank you so much, Joe,
0: for sharing a little bit more with us about the deer populations in our parks. I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the hidden stories of the Royal Parks. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Royal Parks is a charity that supports the eight Royal Parks in London. If you'd like to support us, please go to www.royalparks.org forward slash support. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Our podcast is a team effort between myself, Laura McMahon, Letty Laysen, Lucy Kellett, and Harry Holgate.